1: Well, hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie, Jule's grandmother. We just got back from the UK the other day. The visit was great. You may have heard my little chat with Violet last week. I enjoyed that so much. She had a bit of a cold still. They were all sick. She was just getting over it. And I seem to have it just starting today. So if I sound a little off, that's why. I love that Violet still wants to play cards and games with us. She's 13 years old, and she even came home from a New Year's Eve sleepover party early to see us off, which I thought was so nice. But the whole family had not been well. Thankfully, by the time we left, everyone was well on the way to a full recovery. I felt as though Dorothy was with us again with all the coughing going on. Poor Dorothy coughed. Constantly. Dorothy's my mother. My parents smoked a lot. My dad smoked probably 50 to 75 cigarettes a day. My mom maybe smoked a third to a half of that. But she quit after she was diagnosed with emphysema, which is an absolute nightmare. Please don't get emphysema if you can help it. But we always knew where she was by her cough. One of my brothers was always such a good mimic, and he was so funny. He could imitate anyone, even the dog, to a T. He actually tormented me by imitating me constantly. He imitated me walk, talk, everything. As a child, I used to sometimes just go insane because I had this person following me around doing this. It was sort of a form of torture. But one of the things he used to say is, our parents coughed in harmony when they got up in the morning, which they kind of did. And he would imitate my mom with, oh, you'll have to excuse me. I've had this nasty cough for over 25 years. Are we sick people for laughing at that? She laughed too. And she used to argue that the coughing was clearing out all the tar and nicotine. But sadly, that turned out not to be true. But everyone in the Ryan Kutstra household was coughing in perfect harmony, so it was like having my mother back. Even poor tiny baby Fena. Fena. Not a challenging name to pronounce. Basic English phonics. Short E sounds like eh. Short A sounds like ah. I do not understand why people hear Fena, even with our Canadian accent, and say Fanna? No, Fenna. I've never heard anyone mispronounce Gemma as Jamma. I had an Australian friend a few years ago. Well, she's still my friend, but she moved to the West Coast, then back to Oz, so I just never have the pleasure of seeing her anymore. She used to, when she was here, relentlessly make fun of our Canadian accent, particularly with the word fantastic. To her ear, it sounded like we were saying, fantastic. That's how she would say it back to me. And I finally said to her one day, well, we at least pronounce the letter R when there's an R in a word, and we don't pronounce it when it's not in the word. You know, you can say run. Why can't you say heart with the R? And and I said to her, if someone here had this kind of a problem with the letter R— They would be told they had a speech impediment and be sent to speech therapy. She just looked at me horrified. How dare I? It's not as though I think our accent is beautiful or anything. I just think that if you're living in Canada or any country for that matter, where you were not raised, you're the one with the accent. It's all about context. When I'm in the UK, I know I have an accent. When I'm here... I don't have an accent. I just blend in with the masses. Violet will sometimes stop herself from saying something like, um, she'll say, go to say tomato and she'll change it to tomato. And I, I just assure her that there's no need to adjust for us. We understand her beautiful English accent perfectly well. And people here really like her accent. But that doesn't mean you can laugh in her face and say things like, Oh my God, that's so cute! And then say something like, Freshen your drink, govna. People have actually said that to Violet. And children are people. I don't think most of those same people would say something like that to an adult. But anyway... Fred Kootstra is a barrel of laughs now that he's a year and a half old. He really took to his grandfather Abe. He and Abe like all the same toys. Cars, trucks, heavy machinery, backhoes, excavators, motorcycles. I could go on. I did buy my children trucks and blocks and Lego and tools when they were little. But if I'm honest, they were not that interested. They were... They were more interested in the sort of traditional, stereotypical female-gendered toys. And Fred is not interested in cute little stuffies or baby dolls, unless you put them in a stroller, in which case he's only interested in the wheels and the axles and the construction of the stroller and pushing it around. It might as well be a car. I remember taking my nephew, Declan, who's in his 20s now, to the animal farm in Sarnia when he was around Fred's age. He did not care. One shred about those ducks, geese, bunnies, and farm animals. Not a bit. But his eyes lit up when he saw an oversized four-wheeler. Ooh, he cooed as he stroked the giant, deep-treaded tire. So we have some gender-stereotypical children in this family, apparently, which is fine. But I can't help thinking maybe that's a bit of a waste, because we would have totally embraced non-gender-conforming preferences. So they're definitely born with a personality. Even Fred's musical preferences are vehicular. There is a brilliant performer, Blippi—I had never heard of him until this trip— Blippy saw what should have been an obvious gap in the children's showbiz market. What did he do? He filled that gap. It seems to me that at one time, the gendered, quote unquote, boys cartoons were focused on guns and violence. But maybe if they had the high octane, high caliber, age appropriate supply of vehicle and engineering content that Blippy is providing, they'd have been less interested in the fights. The shows that Fred loves are really informative. Fred can tell you all the parts of a backhoe, the bucket, the boom, arm, front bucket. No wonder he took to Abe so enthusiastically. But I think we should all celebrate the trucks and technology that, that's building up this city. Seriously, you have to google blippy if you have small children in your life or if you just want to learn more about vehicles and heavy equipment i i'm ashamed to say that i ruined the backhoe song for myself with that ho look at her over there pouting her lips and twisting her hair that ho she's got you in her sights Hoping you'll notice her and lay some pipe. That ho. What is wrong with me? It's going to take me a few weeks to stop singing. Garbage trucks and back ho. Oh my God. Bobby, Abe, and I stayed up late New Year's Eve playing cards and doing the Fred dance to the Blippi songs. Fred's a really fun guy. And his smile lights up the room. But we're back now. Hmm. On another note, Abe started a new employee position. You know, I'm never a big fan of the employee positions, but Abe's in demand, and they gave him a good offer. What can I say? When you're that good, you're in demand. And he started this job about a week before we left for the UK, which kind of surprised me. I thought, because we have another trip planned for the end of January, and I thought, oh, maybe they won't want him to start until after that. But no, he started. And the thing they had them start with was onboarding, and big corporations usually have very comprehensive onboarding processes and training videos and requirements. And this one includes diversity training. I can hear some people's eyes rolling at that, but it is necessary. We need different perspectives. Everyone lives different experiences. I mean, I worked in IT all my life which is obviously a male-dominated industry. And every time, to this day, when I start with a new client, I still feel as though I have to justify my existence. It's gotten better, but still. And even though things are better, we still have a way to go. So when someone scoffs at the concept of diversity training, I think they're the ones who probably need it. Of course people from different backgrounds and genders have Cultural differences. We do. That's the point of the diversity training. The ways we're different aren't necessarily better or worse. We just need to allow for the differences and realize that one way of thinking is not always the right way of thinking. I've worked with a lot of people from different cultures and countries, and I've noticed some patterns in ways of doing things and some beliefs generalizations don't always apply. It's human nature to group things, to group people. So we do tend to notice some of these similarities. For example, some cultures think it's fine to slurp and smack their food. I find it annoying, but that is 100% because I was raised that way. And apparently there are people who think belching is a compliment to the cook or the chef I've noticed people from certain cultures are more reluctant to admit, well, and genders, are more reluctant to admit if they're wrong or if they've made a mistake. Or they're reluctant to ask too many questions, even if they didn't quite understand what you were saying. Understanding this about people is helpful because it gives you some patience. And if you don't understand where they're coming from, you might think the person is being deliberately misleading or stonewalling you or even lying. And I cannot imagine how difficult it would be to move to another country and have to work in another language. I'm sure I'd feel self-conscious about not understanding what people say, I already feel self-conscious enough when I start a new project and they're looking at me like, who's the token woman? I worked with one guy who would listen, nod, and then he'd have to Google translate whatever I said. What a way to have to work. I felt badly for him, but I also have enormous respect for him. And it makes me wonder, what was he going through in his home country to make him leave and want to put himself through this It had to be significant. And many cultures have deep respect for hierarchy. I've seen that a few times. I don't disrespect hierarchy, and I am a rule follower, but I think a good leader wants to hear the truth and do the right thing. So many just want to be surrounded by yes-men. yes men And the nature of my job is to make sure access to a system is appropriately designed, assigned, and auditable. It's like I'm quarterbacking between conflicting priorities. The workers just want all the access they can get so that they can get on with their work. The managers want all the access, even if they don't use it. And they don't want to take the time to understand what they're responsible for approving because it's not part of their core job. They view it as a hassle. And the auditors need full transparency and evidence that you're adhering to the rules. Don't get me wrong, I'm fine with breaking the rules because sometimes it makes sense. You just have to make sure you document why you broke the rule, exactly what you did, and provide evidence of all actions taken by all involved, and then get approval and review after the fact. I've never been escorted out for breaking the rules this way. Never. And I'm not flagrantly going around doing whatever I want. If I have to break a rule, there's a valid, documented reason. Always. But I have had people scream at me about a few things. A few executive assistants, for example. It's not uncommon for corporate executives to be responsible for approvals. They approve high expenditures, or access to approve, or access to execute significant system activities, for example. But so often, these executives don't ever log on to the computer. They don't learn how to use it. Maybe that's changing now that executives aren't all old men who never had a computer growing up. But they don't want to approve anything, even though they're accountable for approving. So they get their assistant to do it, if they have an assistant. Now, in this day,
0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at
1: OnePeloton.com. In age, you have to be very high up to have an assistant. Most people don't unless you're at the C-suite level. So they're too good to approve it. They're too good to log into the system and do it. And if a system is well designed, they can delegate the authority to approve within the system. That way there's an audit trail. I delegated authority to Abe. I can see that Abe approved it, but you can also see that I delegated that to Abe. I'm still accountable, but the delegation path is still documented. But very often, the delegation doesn't happen. So what what do they do? They hand the password over to the assistant, which is information security rule number one. Don't share your password. They sign off on the corporate policies, and then they flagrantly ignore them. Those rules don't apply to them. They're too special for the rules. Entitlement drives me bananas. But anyway, I've had more than one assistant scream at me because I would not give them their boss's password. That actually would be an escort-you-out-the-door offense. But if you think for a minute whether I care who your boss is, you are dead wrong. Your boss is not going to report to the board of directors that I did not give someone else their password. But the board might hear about it if I do. And do you think screaming at me is going to motivate me to help you? Uh Uh-uh. One morning, I showed up for work and saw a meeting invitation from a serial complainer. It wasn't just me. A lot of people really avoided her because she was a nasty, screaming, yeller, name caller. Her name was Jane. Jane. Anyway, I got this invitation for something. I don't recall exactly what, but she had been consistently, repeatedly rude to me, and the meeting was scheduled to start before I even got into work. It had been sent through the night, probably after Jane finished a bottle of wine. Anyway, I had other things to do. As far as I was concerned, you sent it through the night. It's really not a priority. I declined, proposed another time. She called me screaming that she was going to tell her boss, whose name was Brad, another one who everyone couldn't wait to see the last of, and I just calmly told her to do what she needed to do. I refused to be intimidated by that behavior. Whenever these things happen, though I do warn my own manager to let them know that some shit might be hitting the fan and why, they have to at least be prepared. But just because you're special... I will not grovel to meet your raging demands. I know it kind of sounds like I'm the one being difficult in these situations, but the fact is that I will jump through hoops to do the right thing as quickly as possible. I'll break the rules that make sense, but if you won't listen to reason when your request doesn't make sense, threatening hierarchy on me will not change my position. How dare you? I can be your best ally at work, and even after these people treated me this way, I didn't stonewall them. I still helped them when they needed it. But come on, so many people cheered when Jane and Brad left. I always say, if things are awful at work, have patience. One thing you can count on is change. There was one guy on a project who was really odd. Well, I've worked with more than one oddball. But this guy, in particular, was one of those socially awkward people, but apparently really good at his job. I certainly didn't have enough visibility to what he did to even pass judgment on that. But he was clearly one of those um, cultural misogynists. You know, one of the men who sneers at you when you try to solve problems. But this one took the cake. Even the guys thought he was odd. When his wife left for over a month at a time to visit her family, you could see it. He showered less. He became increasingly unkempt the longer she was gone. His hair would get wilder, and he just left the hair growing out of his nose and ears unchecked. He started to smell. Every time he had a problem He would insist I should give him wide-open access, which is not allowed, and refused to cooperate with me so that I could run traces to fix the access properly. He thought I was the most difficult, stupid woman. He complained to the project manager, who surprised him by telling him that he needed to work with me, and I knew what I was doing. In this case, his respect for hierarchy was a good thing, because if the manager told him to do it, he had to, no matter how much he didn't want to. And even though he had been an absolute first-class prick to me for months, and he smelled at close range, I worked with him, solved his problems, and he was surprised. His disdain for me eased up just a little, which was nice, We could all tell when his wife came home because his ear and nose hairs were all cleaned up. He got a haircut, and he showered again. We know who's boss at his house. When I quit that project to go to another one, he called me aside. And I thought, oh God, what's coming? And he said to me, I hope you're not leaving because of me. It made me almost verklempt. No, 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 I assured him. I'm leaving for a better opportunity which was the truth. I certainly wasn't leaving because of him. Besides, he wasn't the only one on that project who dismissed me or treated me with disdain, but he was the most disdainful. The whole vibe had at least something to do with why I left, but not entirely. I genuinely was going for what I thought was a better opportunity. On my last day, He brought me two boxes of the best samosas. He told me they were the best, and they were. He didn't want me sharing them with anyone. These were for me. I was so touched. One thing you can count on is change. I was brought into another project to pull back access and redesign the roles to an appropriate level. Sometimes these implementation projects don't invest the time or resources to get the roles right, and they end up paying for it after when they have to bring someone like me in but this one manager insisted that he needed the full admin access kind of with a high pitched yelling and hopping up and down even he, he I am the manager I need sap all well first of all no one should have sap all in a production system and secondly the manager does not have the deep technical expertise to need or even know what to do with that kind of access. It simply is not required and it makes no sense. Sometimes the decision makers and approvers kind of leave me to have these conversations with these guys. And when you're the consultant, you are lord and master of nothing. You are there to provide expertise to the decision makers, so hopping up and down with your knickers knotted up won't get you anywhere with me. Eventually, his manager got around to telling him the way it was, so he accepted it. On that project, I was the only white Canadian woman. The other two white women on that project were from Serbia, and everyone else was from somewhere in Southeast Asia or China, and we had one Hispanic guy. We worked in an open area with low cubicles, and though the business language was English, the chat around the floor was everyone's native tongue. I loved it there. We were all different, but everyone was so nice. Well, other than the odd person who complained about not getting the full set of keys to the system, Diwali was a dream come true with all the delicious food and joyous celebration we celebrated the Chinese New Year together, and one of the Serbian women brought in the most amazing baking for the Orthodox Christmas. And everyone, regardless of where they were from, when you left for Christmas holidays, they're like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. I'm the one who says Happy Holidays, <laughs> because I'm, I'm not sure what you celebrate. Those guys don't. They look at me, white Canadian woman, Merry Christmas it is. The South Asian team members were only here for a few months at a time, maybe six months. There was the odd one who was here for over a year. But I overheard one guy planning an alcohol party with some of the others. I explained to him that in Canada, the default is alcohol party. If you're not having alcohol, then you call it a dry party. Oh, They said they would never even drink so much as one beer in the presence of their mothers. Maybe that cultural standard isn't such a bad thing. Some of the guys were so happy to go home at the end of their stint in Canada. On one person's last day, the guys said, Back home, we are treated like kings. In Canada, the wives and children are kings. We all laughed about that. When I offered my condolences to one of my friends after her uncle passed away, she assured me, it's okay, he was old. Oh, how old was he? In his 50s. That's young, I protested. One of the other guys said, Julie, you're not like our mothers at home. They have a very different life. When they're in their 50s, they think of themselves as old. One thing, too, some of these cultures are there for big family events. They will move heaven and earth to travel for a funeral, a wedding. Some of my friends said that when they had their babies, their mothers moved in for three to four months. And when their parents grow old, it's just understood that they'll move in with their grown children. And their husbands can't even complain. Catherine's nanny told her that she thinks white women don't do it right at all when they have a baby, Catherine should have been in bed after Fena was born, and the older women should have been there to do everything else. Well, that might not work for Catherine. Believe me, I was grateful and thrilled to be there for Christmas for just over a week. Can you imagine? I think they'd all go crazy if I were there for three months. Everyone's different and that's okay. Thank you for listening. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask, email me at jewelsays@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And Happy New Year! I hope you have a wonderful, healthy, prosperous, peaceful year. Selling a little?